It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome in to this week's episode of the Into Tales World podcast. Tom Hacking alongside Steve Bartle, as we, uh, most weeks, um, 12 team playoff is kind of the, the, the topic of conversation floating around social media. So we thought we'd dive into it the pros, the cons, everything in between. And, and I, I came across, well, I'll hold off, but this podcast brought to you by Nate Wade Subaru, of course. Nate Wade Subaru, 1207 South Main Street, Salt Lake City, Utah. There are a lot to love events going on right now. Uh, so head on down there and check out all of the inventory. Give me a second. Hold your horses. Here we go. Uh, there's more news from Nate Wade Subaru that I need to get to. The, the, the trading deal, right? This trading deal. Hold on. Pulled it up. Used cars have never been worth more, and there are fantastic incentives on new 2021 models, people. So if you're driving Nate Wade Subaru and you're sick of the bloody ni- the 1999 Outback that you're driving around, Trade it in. Get yourself into a 2021 model. You'll thank yourself for many, many more years to come. Steve Bartle, how are you, my friend? I'm good, Tom. How are you doing, bro? I'm good, man. We're hanging in there. <laughs> Summer's here. Dude, we're getting like, um, so if you hear some noise, we're getting like seven, It's I think it's like 70,000 tons of gravel dumped to our house today. Dang. Why? What are you doing? Are you building like a giant sand? What are you doing? It's pea gravel, just little pea gravel. We're just dumping it. We're making a patio, a little gravel patio. All right. A little veggie garden area, you know. Just Nice. So it's kind of exciting. I've taken to, to – it's Thursday today. I've taken tomorrow, Friday off work. I'm going to be in the garden, getting my you – know, just healing with nature. That's what I'm doing. I'm The, the universe and I are becoming one this weekend. As Love I'm going to be out there just hustling away, getting things done. So uh, that's that's the extent of my news. Um, there is a 12-team playoff conversation that's being had. Where are we at with it? Last I heard, they were like, they have to go through all these loops, which, you know, standard procedure for college football. Dumb. But, uh, okay, so it says, the recommendation from the college football's working group will be a 12-team model Six highest-ranked conference champions plus six at-large spots. There's no news, I don't think, Steve, as to when the date will be that this starts. But something tells me 2026 will be the year. But don't it could be it could be a few years early. It could be a few years later. How cool is that? Honestly, that might get me like to fall in love with the game of college football again. Isn't that crazy, right? Like we've been, you know, we've had this college football playoff for now, what, seven years now? And, you know, I, before, before it became a thing, you know, everybody was kind of sick of the BCS model and wanted, you know, a playoff. We get the four-team playoff and, 
it's uh, it's been quite the monopoly <laughs> of the playoff, you know, with programs like Alabama and Clemson and Ohio State. It seems like they're in it every single year. And now, you know, ever since the 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 playoff was was instituted, it's people have been wanting it to to expand. And you know, now it's now it's finally here, man. It's been seven years of this and 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 it finally sounds like they're going to expand and um uh, so it's it's definitely exciting. I'm with you, Tom. I'm like, this is this is great. Uh this is a great opportunity to um to expand, to to get more eyeballs on the game, to to in to get more access to the college football playoff. I think that that's a great thing for college football. And so, yeah, man, it's, uh, it's here. It's here. It's definitely here. I'm, I'm wrapped, man. I, uh, I really am. I, and I, I, I was okay with the four teams for a while there. And then it just started getting a little repetitive. The Alabama's Clemson's and Ohio States were always going to fill three of the four spots. And then you'd throw in a Notre Dame or another team, you know, maybe in Oregon, back when Marcus Mariota was around, Florida State were good for a few years there, you know, but there were always three out of the four teams were the same, and I'm starting to think this is kind of silly, although the games are still fun, don't get me wrong, but there were there was very very rarely a, a, a Cinderella story that was, was, was potential. Like, there was no possible... Cinderella story outcome with the 14 model. I think the 12 team model allows that. And I think just basic football fans, whether you're into a specific college team, maybe you're into the NFL, whatever, I guarantee you watch college football and the NFL. And I think the 12 team model, Steve, will, will allow for some Cinderella stories. Like BYU probably would have made it last year. And they probably would have gotten beaten severely in the first round, but we never know because it's a two-horse race and they had Zach Wilson. He is a talent and their offensive line was sturdy and you have a good offensive line and a good quarterback. Who knows what's... And they, look, they're not going to be Bama, but they could get, you know, two, three rounds into the playoff system and and, and cause a bit of a stir. And, and, and I, th- I just... I think that would be great for the game. I also think there's more money now associated to the game with 12 teams. There's more playoff games. You can sell more games for a higher rate. There's going to be more eyes uh, on the game itself because of it. Look, I just see it as a win-win personally, and I think also it gives Utah a great chance at finally one day maybe competing in the playoff system, you know, where, whereas with the four teams, they did have a chance a couple of years back before they blew it in the championship game. Uh, but it's hard. It's really hard for a team like Utah to make that full team playoff, don't you reckon, Steve? Yeah, I agree. I uh, I agree, and I, I think um, you know just to pro- just to kind of provide some some added context here. You know, we kind of been talking about it, but um, nothing. You know, obviously, nothing's been finalized with this twelve team playoff. All indications are that like that's kind of what the model you 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 mentioned it. It's it's what's recommended is this twelve team playoff, and so what it what it kind of would look like is you've got six, the six conference champions, six conference champions, the top six conference champions, and then six at, at large teams. Um, that's your 12 team model. And so with that, you've got 12 teams. What they would do is they would provide the top four conference champions 
that's I I'm saying that top four conference champions, and it just sounds so weird saying that. I don't know why. It's just it's just one of those days where words sound weird. Um, but uh, but the top four would get a buy, and then you've got uh, teams five through twelve would make that first round. They would play each other. Uh, um, where the top ranked, I think five through eight would host home games on campuses. Uh, and then the winner of those games would, would move on to play the top four teams. So, you know, I, I, uh, I agree with you, Tom. I think this definitely opens up uh, and provides Utah, obviously not just Utah, but, you know, programs across the country, uh, a, a greater opportunity to make the college football playoff where, like I, like I said a, a bit ago, it's kind of been monopolized by, you know, three, four, five, six programs um, that are just on a different level in terms of their ability to recruit top talent to, you know, pay assistant coaches, uh, top-notch assistant coaches. And so it's just been, you know, monopolized thing. Uh, but this provides uh, programs like Utah and others the opportunity to to make some noise, to get into the playoff and to have an opportunity to kind of showcase what they're about. And I think going back to that, you know, to two years ago with that 2019 season for Utah, you kind of remember, if you remember that season, you know, you remember coming down the stretch, Utah beat UCLA and Colorado uh, pretty emphatically. That Colorado game was an ABC game. They took care of business. Uh, they're, top five, top six. There was a lot of talk about where Utah was at in the college football playoff ranking. Uh, they lose in the conference championship game and, and end up uh, as the number 11 seed in the final college football playoff ranking. What's crazy is, so, you know, you lose the championship game, which is not considered a, a regular, it's an important game, but it's not a regular season game, right? And so, you know, you lose that, but, in this 12 game model, Utah would still be included in the college football playoff. And, you know, that Utah team had a lot of talent, had a lot of experience. It was a team that, you know, came up short in the championship game, but it's a team that still could have made some noise, you know, had they oper- had they had the opportunity to compete in the playoff. So uh, yeah, I, I definitely agree. This definitely widens the path for programs like Utah to, to get into the mix and, and to, uh, you know, to, uh, to have that opportunity to compete in the playoff. Yeah. You mentioned also, you said, you know, like what top four teams get a buy and then mm-hmm. five through eight host, you know, nine through 12 or whatever. And it kind of just sparked my, my interest in even more, you know, the bowl, the current, the current bowl system, in my opinion, has been flawed. Um, and it's not just recently flawed. It's kind of, in my opinion, anyway, it's just my opinion. I want everybody to know that this, if you disagree with this, with this take, you're disagreeing with, with my opinion and we're okay with that. I, I Look, I, I just think the general premise, the general core, the heartbeat of college football is the environments created uh, at these small little towns. Like Salt Lake's unique because the, the University of Utah's 10-minute drive from the airport and a five minute drive from downtown Salt Lake city, which is a decent sized city. It's not massive, but it's still decent size. Yeah. Most of these schools like Baton Rouge, Louisiana or Pullman, Washington, you know, just like the the towns rely on the university to, 
to make money, you know, so that they can pay the, you know, the bloody general store owner down the road trying to survive off selling cartons of milk and candy bars, you know, but weren't for the colleges that would, wouldn't exist. It would just all be pastures and farmland. So I, I would love for more of these big games to be at home venues, at venues yeah. of teams that are ranked highly. Um, because that to me is what this game is all about. And that's what separates college football from other, from other sporting events and, and leagues. You know, it's just, there's nothing, nothing in North America that can compete with the, the environment of a college football game day. Um, anywhere, you know, and like some are obviously better than others. Baton Rouge is probably a bit better than Salt Lake City. Salt Lake City is probably a bit better than Provo, but that's okay. They're all yeah. unique in their own right, and you can you can always find fun. Fun is free, uh, and and you can always find fun at these things. And yeah, it doesn't matter about if the tailgate's poor in one place. You, the game day experience, the atmosphere, the vibe, like Lavelle Edwards Stadium, for example. You know, we bash on BYU as, as Utah guys all the time, but when Lavelle Edwards Stadium is rocking, that place is pumping. Rice Eccles is the same way. When that place is rocking, that place is absolutely pumping. Oregon State, these small schools, I mean, I just think, I think we got to get back to what's, what's right for the game, and what's right for the game is, is keeping it home and keeping it where the heart beats true, and that's, that's at these home stadiums. So if they can figure out a way to, to, to reward some of these higher-seeded teams, um, some home games early on in the playoff series. I'm all about that. And then, of course, you know, I, I get it. it. It's a money thing at the end of the day. So, you know, national championship games, they need to play it in Dallas-Fort Worth, play it in Dallas-Fort Worth or, you know, stadiums that seat 100 and plus thousand. Go ahead, be my guest. But, but for some of the earlier rounds, if you've got 12 teams, let's, let's, bloody, let's show some love to the, to the troopers out there that have been going to these games all year long, huh? Yeah, no, I'm absolutely with you, Tom. And, you know, there's a lot of talk that this is going to water down the regular season and the port and the importance of, of certain games. And like, yes, there is a certain element of that. You know, if, you know, we're talking about a rivalry game, right? Like Utah BYU, typically they only play once a year. Right. And that rivalry game is everything. How often do we hear like, you know, uh, like BYU could lose every game of the season, but if they beat Utah, that season, you know, that season matters above all else. You know, how many times have we heard that or vice versa? How many times have Utah fans said, well, we could lose every game, but if we beat, you know, BYU, uh, you know, same kind of thing. So obviously that rivalry game that matters and, um, you know, it's very important typically because it's only played once a year and you get all the bragging rights. And now with this college football playoff, while it's always kind of been there, um, you know, you have the opportunity where you could potentially be in a rematch situation. And that's an interesting uh, dilemma. And, and, you know, even if you go back to the 2019 season, let's say that season is a 12 team playoff, right? With how it ended up. And I'm sure if, if it were a 12 team playoff, we wouldn't have seen it play out this way, but Utah lost to Oregon in the championship game. Yes. I'm sorry. I'm bringing it up. I'm crying tears on the inside too, listeners. I apologize, but Utah loses to Oregon in that Pac-12 championship game. They fall to number 11. Oregon is number six. And in a 12-team playoff like this, Utah is traveling to Eugene for that first-round playoff matchup. And, you know, you talk about that 
where the regular season doesn't matter and, and potentially facing multiple teams. Uh, yeah, I, that, that would have been the case maybe in 2019. Um, but honestly, Tom, like I'm with you, I think the more that you can, the more opportunities that you can provide these programs and these universities, the opportunity to, to host games, to play in these big games, to generate money and to generate, you know, uh, to boost the economy, you know, getting travelers, visitors in from, from out of state coming to Salt Lake city or vice versa. And I think that's a great opportunity. And, um, you know, there's still that element where every single game matters because teams are going to want that bye week, right? Like that's so important, especially when you're a college, you know, you want that bye week, that extra prep time, that time off to rest your body, you know, they, that's still going to be a, a high, highly valuable thing for these programs. They they're going to want that bye week And then for the other teams, like you're going to be jockeying for position. You're going to want to host a home game rather than going on the road to compete in this thing. Like every game is still going to matter. Like I, I can't wrap my head around how this, you know, waters things down and like devalues the regular season. Like coaches are suddenly going to, you know, be cool with losing a game or, or, or boosters are suddenly not going to want to win every single weekend. Like, I, I don't understand it. Like, this is, this is great. It drives up to me uh, just the, not only the, the opportunity to generate money for these programs and these universities who are so dependent on football programs to do that. Uh, but man, you open up access to the playoff. Uh, it's still value. You still have to value every single regular season game. Um, and just every game matters, man. And it's, I, I think it's a great opportunity. I uh, I think society, and this is not just here in America. This is worldwide, for that matter. I look. I, I I'm a firm believer that we need to be more welcoming to change. Change is okay. Change is inevitable. And if if change in this sense means that a Pac-12 conference game against Colorado doesn't have as much meaning as maybe it did two years ago, three years ago, well, you know what? The game against Colorado probably didn't mean a ton anyway. Yeah, it's USC and Arizona State this year that really only are the two teams that matter. You you go two and zero against them, you can lose a game to Arizona. It's not really going to affect things, we think. You know, because you've got the tiebreaker over, unless you unless of course you you beat Arizona Arizona State and USC, and then they go on and and win every other game in their schedule, which. I mean, chances are just slim. One of them has to beat the other team. So my point here is I'm getting a bit too far into the weeds, but if sacrificing like a tiny bit of, of care and, and, and respect for a, a Pac-12 game means adding a potential game, a playoff game, that that's far greater than any game that the program's ever played in, so be it. Bring it on. I mean, goodness gracious. The Sugar Bowl was cool. The Fiesta Bowl was fine. The Las Vegas Bowl sucked. Like, like Foster Farms Bowl sucks. Like, let's just call it how it is. These, these get these bowl games that Utah's been playing in recently. I played in two Las Vegas bowls. They, they, like, you don't get anything from playing in those games. You get a, a week in Vegas. Great. 
You go up to San Francisco, you play in the Foster Farms Bowl. Great. I mean, like, it's cool because it's, it's you're with your teammates and you get some prizes and kind of get to experience what the bowl game's all about. But the bowl game gets done. You go to Christmas or, you, or, or whatever, whatever time of year. You know, Christmas may have been already, but you look back on it in four or five years. I look back on my Vegas Bowl experiences. I'm like, hey, they, they were fun. Don't get me wrong. They were cool. Yeah. And I, I'm glad I went to them. But they, like, they didn't change me. They didn't alter me as a person. They didn't change who I was as a player. They were just, it was just another game. But the playoff, there's more to it than, than that, in my opinion. And if we can add something that's, that's more meaningful, more powerful, then I'm all for it. And if it yeah. means we don't get to play in a damn Las Vegas Bowl, who cares? Goodness well, gracious. And I, and I think, I think like, you know, the players, the really good players agree with you, Tom. I mean, how many, how many times have we seen it, you know, especially in recent history where players are opting out of bowl games to protect themselves for the draft, right? And I, I think we see that with more – typical bowl, bowl games, like more, you know, December, early December, mid-December, uh, even late December bowl games. You don't see it as much, you know, with some of these NY6 games, but even last last year, this last cycle of bowl games, you know, Florida was a program that had multiple players opt out of their, their NY6 bowl game. And, you know, so that really says something to me where, you know, how much, how important are these bowl games to players? Um, whereas you're not seeing too many opt-outs in these playoff games. You know, you're not seeing, uh, you know, guys like Kyle Pitts or uh, guys like um, the, uh, not Joey Bosa, but his younger brother. I can't remember his name. He plays for the Niners and it's going to bug Nick me. Bosa. That I, Nick Bosa. He opted out. Um You've got, uh, you know, other guys that, that have opted McCaffrey out of bowl games. was one of the first ones to opt out. Yeah. You know, and it's... Dude, I Devontae Booker didn't even show... Dude, I don't know how many people know this. Do you remember when Devontae got injured in 20... It must have been 2015. It was my senior year, I think. Yeah, yeah. He got injured late in the year. He right. left Utah. He was gone. He didn't even see the regular season out with Utah. He, he didn't show up to the Vegas Bowl. He was gone two months ago. He was back in Sacramento getting his own private work done through his his own medical staff. You know, like so, like he didn't even he doesn't even care for the Pac-12 regular season games to stick around, let alone the Las Vegas Bowl. Steve, I mean, sorry, I didn't mean I, to cut you off. I just thought I'd throw no. that out there because it's kind of along the similar line. Yeah, no, and and that's that's kind of the point, like. Yeah, you know, every every single game matters, you know, <laughs> but like all that matters, you know, these guys want to play in the playoffs. Like that's what matters most and what drives these coaches. Uh, they want to get to the playoff. They want that opportunity to compete for a national championship. That national championship now means more than anything else, you know, outside of their own draft stock, <laughs> you know, like these guys want that opportunity to compete you know, in, in the playoff and, and compete for a championship. And, uh, you know, if, if, uh, so if, if you expand it to a 12 team playoff, that's just means, you know, more teams are going to have that chance and more guys hopefully will, uh, will continue to, to remain with their teams and competing with their teams before opting out for their draft. Um, 
but I, I, I think it's certainly a factor when you, you have to consider that a lot of guys have opted out to protect draft stock because they don't want to play in these bowl games. Yeah, that's, it is very interesting. Hey, I don't know if we ever got to this, uh, and it, it, it happened. We're going we're gonna to move swiftly ahead, but this is eight days old now. Uh, USC wide receiver. Munir McLean transferred to Utah on June 2nd. So we apologize. Did we talk about this last week or did we completely judge? No, no, I think what we did is we recorded and then he committed, I think is what happened uh, afterwards is, is what it was. Um, but yeah, Munir McLean, this is uh, this is a nice pickup. He's uh, he's a good fit for Utah in terms of what they need at, you know, at, at, at the receiver position. Um, but yeah, this is a big pickup, Tom. That's cool. I mean, look, receivers are always welcome here at Utah. And I think I, I, I just hope, I hope, and I hope this comes across the right way. Um, I just hope that as a collective group, you know, members of the media and, and the fan base collectively can just relax on getting a getting too excited about the receiving corpse. This year, and the, and look, the re- the reason I say it is because last year all we heard was how good the receivers are going to be and how good the receiving core and the throw game is going to win us football games, you know, in twenty twenty. And lo and behold, with it, it didn't quite work out that way. They weren't bad, you know. Bright Brant Keith, he's always going to be a star. Brenton Covey, if he's healthy, he's always going to fly across the middle and and pick up five yards on on any given down. Uh, they have players, and they have had players. But Ty Jordan, the late Ty Jordan, rest in peace. He he was the star of the show last year. You know, the number twenty-two, the running back, true freshman, best, in my opinion, best best freshman in the country. And they handed the rock off to him. You know, two out of three downs, uh, and that's that's just the bottom line. The receivers, as talented as they may have been, the star was Ty Jordan. And I can't tell you the last time a Utah football season came and went where you look back and you go, wow, geez, those wide receivers really stepped up to the plate and they won us a lot of football games. I, l- I love wide receivers because they're all divas and I'm a diva, but they haven't done anything at Utah football for a decade since I've been around. They've been good, but they've been great. It's always been the running backs that stepped up and carried the offensive load So just can we just please not talk about, don't even look at the wide receivers come for camp. Just let them be, do their own thing, and then be surprised and excited when they do something good this season. But just anticipate and expect the running backs to carry every part of the offensive load. All of this Charlie Brewer talk has me petrified, Steve. Absolutely <laughs> petrified, my friend. I just can't believe it. I, 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 until I see it, I just cannot believe it, Steve. Yeah. Yeah. There's, yeah, I, I understand it, Tom. I, I get it. There's a little PTSD with it. I, I'm sure after last season and, you know, as much as, as much as last year was, was about Ty Jordan, Ty Jordan's emergence, you know, he clearly was an elite talent. Like there's no debating that. Like he was, I was watching clips of Christian McCaffrey and I was like, bro, I'm watching Ty Jordan here. Like this is, this is what he would have been. And so I think as much as it was about Ty Jordan's game, I also think like, you know, they had to hand it off to him 
because, you know, the guy throwing the ball just wasn't, wasn't that good. It wasn't that good. And it sucks. You know, last year sucks specifically because Cameron Risen got hurt in like the first 20 snaps of the season. And you just like, you just ask yourself like, man, what would have, what would the passing game have looked like had he not gotten hurt? Right. And it's just, it's, it's one of those things where we'll never know, but Charlie Brewer now has that opportunity to kind of show us what Utah has in that receiver room. So, so I agree with you. I think, you know, let's, let's calm down on, 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 you know, the receivers, let's let them do their thing. Let them, you know, kind of get their, their feet under them. This is all dependent. This season, we've talked about this, Tom. This season is all dependent upon quarterback play. I think Utah, what they've done in the transfer portal, bringing Theo Howard in, bringing Maneer McLean in, I think, you know, they, they're, they've shown, at least on paper, that they want to surround Charlie Brewer with, with some weapons. And so now it's just up to him to go out and execute. And so, you know, that's, that's what the season is largely dependent upon. And they're going, their success will be determined by, you know, Charlie Brewer. And I think what's crazy is um, you look at the running back situation. We don't like, we don't know who the running back is going to be. So, you know, they, as, as much as we, you know, we feel like they're going to, to hand the rock off to them. Uh, we don't know who it's going to be given to just yet. You know, that's still to be sorted out. And so I think Charlie Brewer, you know, he's, he's got a lawn on his plate, but there's, you know, like we, like we were talking about in the previous episode, there's a lot of optimism about his ability. And I think, you know, we're all just kind of in wait and see mode and you know, we're, we're going to have to see it before we start believing it, I think is where everybody is at with this thing. Yeah. Here's what I do know about the running backs. Inevitably, somebody's going to carry the rock more than oh, the sure. others. Like so, somebody, yeah. and it may happen in full camp. It may not happen in full camp. We may have to wait through non-conference play. Hell, we may have to wait until middle of the year, middle of the season, before somebody starts taking control of that running back room. But inevitably, every year, somebody will find form and yeah. and, and take over things and 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 get the, the majority of those carries, and the other the other guys will turn into to more of a role player which is fine by the way that's in fact it's healthy and i'm and i i said this a few weeks ago i'm under the impression that in today's day and age there is no such thing as a three down back now that there isn't it's just that the, the yeah. game is too physical it's too fast it's too explosive it's too grueling you have got to rotate your running backs the best running backs in the nfl you know um kamara you know they all have backups that come in and play Right. role plays for him, you know, and sometimes it's on third down. Sometimes Kamara's he's run his course come first and second down and needs to breathe it on third down. So they bring in a more physical back who can plow over and then pick up a yard uh, more often than not. So look, I, I just think, I think whoever the, the, the main running back is great, good on you, best of luck moving forward. But for the other guys, You've got a role to play and you need yeah. to commit to that role and, and form comes and goes. And if the guy carrying the rock the majority of the time starts slipping when it comes to just his general form, there's opportunities there for the other guys. And, and I think it's a very exciting time. But to, to look at that running back room, Steve, and then look at that wide receiver room and go, yeah, they're, they're throwing the ball to win games this year. <laughs> You're out of your mind, man. Right. You're out of your right. mind. That running back <laughs> right. room is deep. 
Yeah. Okay, they're running the football. <laughs> it's just like this this concept that Utah is going to turn into this throw heavy. Like get the get out of here. I just don't. <laughs> how many more years of Carl Winningham do we have to see to know that he just doesn't <laughs> like to do it? I just and he's a great coach. Good on him. He's won. He wins more games than he doesn't. He doesn't like to throw the football. That's it. It's okay. We'll 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 win games. It's all right. It might not be as pretty. You may be a little more bored than you would like to be. But that's fine. He's going to run the football. Just anyway, that's my. Sp- I said every year we go through this, and and yeah. here we are again in summertime talking about <laughs> how Utah's hopefully going to throw. The- I anyway, that's just my two cents. And I want everybody out there to know. I hope I'm wrong because I'd love nothing more than to let Carl Whittingham just go. Just go. Let's. Just get after it and throw the football. And if we turn it over, we turn it over. And you know what? When we turn it over, the next offensive series, the first snap, we're going to throw the football. Why? Because it sends a message. It sends a message to the quarterback that we trust him. It sends a message to the offensive players that we respect and trust you guys to go out there and do work and mistakes happen. Inevitably, mistakes will occur throughout the course of any given season, whether they come through the air or on the ground. We will send messages and we will make it all positive and we will attack, attack, attack and look to score as many points as possible. It just, but it's not going to happen. It sounds great in theory, but that's not who he is as a human. That's not who he is as a coach. He, throw, he runs the football. And when they're up by two scores with 10 minutes left in the fourth quarter, the message upstairs to the offensive coordinator is slow the ball down. Slow it down. Well, it's not I a mean, pack. yeah, it's not yeah. a pack. It's not. You're up by two scores. Okay, and then <laughs> you punt the football. The other team scores, and it's a one-score game. And then what do you do? You go score. You turn. You flip the switch, and you go score. So then it's a two-score game again. That's yeah, that, ru- that's what by you do. By running the football on all three downs, because we're slowing it down. Anyway, I probably <laughs> just got myself in trouble. That's okay. Uh, uh, it's been a fun episode. <laughs> You know, talk. Why do look, we do I, it, Steve. Why do we yeah, do this? Hey, Why do we do this for a living? You know, it's it, because you know we 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 love this program. Is what is what it is, Tom. We love it. We love to talk about it. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, I'm interested just because, like, you know, we saw under Troy Taylor, like, I maybe Wit didn't love it, but they're willing to throw the ball around. Like in 2017, they threw it. 32 times a game, which is, I, I don't think we'll see that. In 2018, they threw it 29 times a game. In 20, or what did I say, 2018? Yeah, 2018, which was Tyler Huntley's junior year, 20, oh, 29 times. I apologize, 29 times. In 2019, they threw it 23 times. I, you know, I could see, I could talk myself into seeing, you know, 26, 27 attempts and letting Charlie Brewer sling it around a little bit. I could talk myself into that, I think. I don't know that Stop. we'll go full air raid, but Stop. <laughs> Stop. You're doing this on purpose. You're getting the people animated. Damn it. I'm, hey, I'm not. Tom, Tom, 20, 26 attempts isn't a lot. That's still that's still not a lot. One running back's <laughs> averaging 28 carries. Then you've got two good <laughs> players backing him up. They'll have to get five carries. Like, there's just they run out of room. Like there's 60 offensive yeah. snaps in a game, roughly, give or take. Right. And when you're handing the ball off to a running back on 30 times, 30 times a game, it's cr- and, Bro. Then, and then 
And then there are other running backs that need some carries. And then when you think about all the wide receivers, I mean, and then of course, not every attempt is going to be completed. So it's like all of a sudden you're looking at like two to three attempts per receiver a game. And I'm no like psychologist by any stretch, but something tells me that when you're only getting two or three looks as a wide receiver a game, the chances of success are slim because you, you, you don't, you don't find any rhythm. There's no rhythm. It's just oh, I've got it. start. I've, I've got it. So Drew List, he just played the, the half a game last year against Washington State, right? Just, yeah. there's just the one half. He yeah. threw it 26 times that, that half. So if we, like, average that out, you times, you times that second half by two, that's 52 attempts a game, Tom. That's, that's trending in the right direction. That's what we want to see, Tom. They were down, like, what, four scores? Well, that's the key to this whole thing. So what, lose, just- lose. Let's, let's, you know, let's get the opposition a couple scores early, get them feeling good, get them feeling good, and then you flip the switch. We don't have Drew List to put in there to let him sling it around, but we got Charlie Brewer, and you let him throw it 52 times a game. This, this is the formula. I think if every game was a replica of that Washington State game, like in 2020, half the Utah fan base will be dead by the end of the season through <laughs> yeah. heart attacks. Yeah. Goodness. Oh. An absolute <laughs> yeah. nail biter. You got that was, old that was sitting in Rice Eccles' car. A lot of heart attacks. Yeah. Yeah. A lot that of heart was attacks. stressful, man. But Oof, hey, I, yeah. look, I, 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 this is my whole theory. I, I don't want them to turn into it. Full disclosure, I don't want Utah football to turn into this air raid offense. I just want there to be balance. And I want to see, yeah, yeah. I want to see like late in games, right? When I want to see late in games when Utah's got a third and three or a third and two with a couple minutes left and they're up a score. I want to see them throw the football in those, yeah. those situations because they, all they've done that I can remember, and I'm sure, I'm sure I'm wrong, but they run the football 80% of the time in those situations. And I just love to see a team that, that respects the throw game and isn't scared of it and passes at will. And when the pressure's at its highest and when adversity cannot be louder, they're, they're throwing the football and that they're attacking the game head on. Because I think it sends, I, I truly believe it sends powerful messages to the offensive staff and the offensive players. And I think it it builds confidence. Yeah. Um, and if you're a quarterback and the head coach of a football team's calling on you to make a play, you know, with a minute left, up a score or down a score, third and three, you know, and you know that you've got to convert, my word, if you convert that, your confidence is just immediately gone through the roof. Who knows what you're capable of? But when, you, when you're constantly relying on the running back to make a play, I, I, I don't know. I just think, I think you're asking so much of somebody. And it's not that the running backs at Utah haven't been capable of living up to the pressures. Yeah. But the quarterback's the, the, main, the main man on offense. He's the leader. He's normally the captain. He's the one in the huddle directing. He's the one that people look up to, that they listen to. They're, and I say that with all due respect to the running backs, of course, but... I, I just think, you know, I really, I really do believe powerfully that that if you can if you can throw the football when when the pressure's at its highest, 
good things will happen, you know, and it, and it may not be perfect and you may not get it. You may regret throwing it. You know, wish you had to run it because you were moving, moving the, uh, moving the sticks pretty comfortably running the football. But I don't know. There, there are just messages that, that, that very few fans pick up on that, that you can feel down on a sideline that, that can really make or break a football team and take them to promised lands or, um, or, or let them sink. Yeah, you know, and, and this conversation, you know, talking about the playoff, talking about, you know, adding receivers, talking about evolving, at, talking about a run-pass situation. I remember a, this Nick Saban interview talking about the need to be multiple and, you know, and being multiple in terms of your offensive identity, being multiple in your, in your defensive identity, being multiple uh, and being a threat in multiple ways is the name of the game now. You know, like Nick Saban was synonymous with grounded pound offense, big offensive linemen running the ball. And all of a sudden he's turned into a program where he's got elite quarterbacks and elite receiver. They're slinging the ball around. They still got some really good offensive linemen. They still got, you know, running backs. And yes, it is Alabama. And they just recruit four or five star talent, but still like when the the scheme had to catch up the the the, the mentality the, he he even still had to evolve the great Nick Saban you know with all the talent that he has there he still had to evolve because he would compete against other programs that had an equal amount of talent that had evolved uh, and and they you know they beat Alabama pretty handily so you know Saban of of all people has learned to to evolve as a coach and to become more multiple in terms of his offense and to be more dynamic uh, and to be more equally split between this run pass ratio. And I think, I hope anyways, and, you know, with these additions that they've made with the receivers, with some of the, the quarterbacks, I hope that that is what Utah football and what they hope to do this season and what I hope to see this season is that they, they do, as you say, Tom, and become more truly balanced where it's not completely dependent upon the run game. I think last season was, you know, we talked about it, like as much as it was about Ty Jordan and getting him the ball, it was about getting the ball out of, out of Jake Bentley's hands and not throwing it. You know what I mean? Like getting it into, into a playmaker. And I think, They've got a quarterback that they trust, that they believe in, in Charlie Brewer and Cameron Rising still. And, uh, you know, I, I hope we see it. I hope, hope, hope we see it, man. Because if you become more multiple, you're going to be in the college football playoff more often. And I'm not talking the 12-team. I'm talking the 14 playoff until we get to that 12-team. And then you're just an automatic invite to the playoff when you become more multiple. No kidding, man. No kidding. <laughs> I'm with you. I, I look and I, it starts with, it starts at the top, you know, and Carl's wits come out in the past and said, Oh, I don't have anything to do with the offense anymore. That's kind of not true. He's the head coach. So he can tell the media what he wants, but the bottom line is anything, go- anything that happens inside that program, good or bad. He's the first one. He's the first one to talk about it generally because it's his program. Yeah, and so he has to he has to learn, you know, and adapt and evolve as a coach and figure out how to best get the most out of his offensive players, uh, specifically quarterbacks. And maybe this is the year. Hopefully, this is the year. But you know, you 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 speak to 
fans, and they t- we talk about this passing, this whole passing concept and Utah's struggles over the years, and, and, and you always inevitably will hear, you know, a fan or a, mul- a number of fans talk about, well, and then Kyle come out and said that he's just leaving the offense to the offensive staff. And it's like, yeah, he said it, but that, that doesn't mean it's true. He's, you know, we say a lot of things that aren't true. Like, in what world do you think he doesn't have anything to do with the offense, for crying out loud? I mean, like, this is like crazy. His job is on the line if they don't win games. And you're telling me he doesn't have, Okay, well, yeah, no, that's not true. So you can say that as much as he wants. And people like myself will write stories about it, but take it with a grain of salt, will you, please? Uh, and we love him and we appreciate him. We hope he does well. But figure out your quarterback, coach. You know, it's apparently hard. Which I, well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad it's him, not me. Let me tell you that, because uh, it's stressful. But we love and appreciate the, the him. We love and appreciate the football program. We hope they do well, uh, as as we do every year. Uh, but we also hope to see the, the program evolve and adapt. And and much like what Nick Saban's done at, at Alabama, I think that's relevant. Um, He's a coach that's adapted and it, he's not stubborn enough to think that his way is going to be the way for the rest of eternity. I mean, the game's always going to evolve. Every game's always going to evolve. And I think right now it's kind of at, at a crossroads at Utah football because Kyle knows it. Whittingham knows that, that they're, 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 there must be some change from, from an offensive standpoint. If they truly want to go to the places they want to go, it's not sustainable the way they've done it over the years. And so, so we'll see. He's got, a, he's got Charlie Brewer, who's a four-year starter coming from Baylor, who's had success in the past, who's as good of a quarterback statistically as Utah has had from the transfer portal. He's a leader. He's intelligent. He's got all the attributes. He is a player that can take Utah to the next level if they let him. And that remains to be seen. Uh Nateway Subaru is our sponsor, 1207 South Main Street. We love and appreciate them. Go on, check them out. Go down there. Don't be scared. Be vaccinated. Don't wear your mask. Head on down. They got cool inventory, and they're doing this trading thing where uh, if you want a new car, you can trade in your old one, and sometimes the payment will be less than what you're paying on your old one. It kind of doesn't make a ton of sense, but they're looking after you, so we're looking after them. Nate Wade Subaru, 1207 South Main Street. He's Steve Bartle. Check him out at SBartle247. I'm Tom Hackett at Tom. Can't hack it. He works at utezone.com, seven-day free trial. For all you junkies that haven't checked it out, and I'm at kslsports.com. You come check us out, too, while you're at it. Steve, Till next week, dog. We'll see you. See you, man. friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent. It was senseless. And I will never understand it. I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson. And unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. 
In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story, the struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.